Hey, well, good morning, Arbor. Good to see you. It's really good to see you. Uh, start out with a little test here. Uh, anybody tell me this on the screen? Can you tell me what this is? Anybody have any idea? I uh, can't see. Is there on there? First slide. You're right. It is a chain link fence. <laughs> it is the title of the sermon. Kevin, how are we doing? No, not the video, the slide. The slide, that would be great. So. Oh, dear. So there is no slide. All right, so what you would have imagined to see. That's really awesome. Not good, not good. Uh, so now I have questions about the rest of it. Um, so uh, there was a ball on top of another ball with a little cylinder around it. Anybody here back in the day when, it was, uh, when I was a kid called a pogo ball? Has anybody heard of one of those things? A pogo ball. This was the thing when I was in elementary school. This was the deal. Uh, if you don't know what it is, now I will show you a video, hopefully, of, of what a pogo ball is. This is a legit commercial back then. So here you are. So there you are. When I was in elementary school, every single kid had a pogo ball at school. And I mean everybody except me. Truly, truly. They had a section in our class, a section, where they would stack up the pogo balls for kids to take out to recess. There was a whole section, and I did not have one, and I wanted one so bad. I feel like I was the last kid to get one, but finally, my parents came through for me. They got me a black and silver one. It was like the manly version of pogo balls, and uh, it was amazing. I was so excited. I was so pumped the whole night before when I got it, because everybody at recess, so they'd go pogo to Together, and then I wouldn't I'd do whatever I was doing. Um, and I got it, and I practiced the whole entire night. I was, couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited. I was going to go to school, going to show everybody my pogo ball. And I got to the end of the driveway waiting for the bus, and I decided, you know, what would be good is to get a little more practice in. And so I started bouncing on my pogo ball before the bus was to come. And, um, and uh, we live on a gravel road, uh, so that probably wasn't the best idea. And so I bounced and I popped it. And literally, as I popped it, the bus comes over the hill. And I have a choice. I'm holding my flat pogo ball. Do I get on the bus and take my flat pogo ball to school? Or do I run the quarter mile way home down the dirt road to my parents or to my mom crying and say I missed the bus? So obviously, I cried and grabbed my pogo ball and ran back home. And, uh, and truly, I... I don't think my parents ever repaired it. I didn't never got another one. My pogo ball just remained flat. And so truly, I never had a pogo ball um, during my childhood. And so I literally felt like at that time in school, I was on the outside, like complete outsider. Everybody had a pogo ball, and then there was me. And all of us at some point, that's a silly example, um, but all of us at some point have felt like we are on the outside. 
I, I, I got to assume, if you are not, you are the one person on the planet that's never felt like they're on the outside. So all of us have felt like we've been in that place. And, and the series we're doing now called Outsiders, uh, the premise is this, is that Jesus told us to go and to make disciples. That's our mission. That's the mission of this church is to go and make disciples. But what's really great about Jesus is he also showed us how. And he modeled it. And he went to the outsiders. That's how he did it. He went by going out to the outsiders, the tax collectors, the sinners, the lepers, the demon-possessed, uh, Samaritans. Women, even at that time, were considered to be outsiders in that culture. And what Jesus did is he loved outsiders by inviting them in. That's exactly what he did. That's what we want to do. He loved outsiders by inviting them in. And so uh, whatever background, age, gender, race, theology, ethnicity, politics, education, income, whether you have a pogo ball or you never had a pogo ball, we want this church to be about those who are going out loving the outsiders by inviting them in. We don't want anybody to be on the outside. And so today we're going to tackle a demographic in the book of Mark, chapter 10. It's probably not talked about much when it comes to the outsiders, but they truly were outsiders in that day. And that was the children of the time. The kids at the time were truly outsiders in that, uh, in that day and age in the first century. And so the layout for my talk is simply going to be this. I'm going to spend the first half of our time talking about the, package, or, uh, the, the passage and unpacking it. Uh, I want to look at Jesus' example and how he engaged with children. And then the second half, I'm giving you the warning right now, I'm going to ask two great big asks of you, right? I'm going to ask you to respond, and I'm going to spend the second half of our time unpacking that in response to the passage on how it is that we would respond to this passage. Um, and so I'm going to have two big, huge things that I want to ask of you in just a sec. So prepare yourself now. In the meantime, I'd love to read the passage, Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. And since we're talking about children today, I've asked Beatrice if she would stand up on her chair and she would read from Mark Chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, and I will hold the microphone for you when you are ready. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. That was awesome, Beatrice. Thank you so much. Dude, that's better than I can read right there. That's just absolutely amazing. Good job. All right, so what we'll do is we're going to walk through that passage verse by verse. We'll start back at verse 13. Um, here's what it says. We'll break it down verse by verse. Uh, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so, for the purpose of, that he could touch and bless them, which culturally that was a thing back then, to lay your hands on someone's head and to give them a blessing. It seems a little weird today, but actually if you think about it when it comes to like People reaching out to touch other people. You think about concert. Uh, you think about famous people. You think of like the Pope, wherever he goes, people are trying to reach out and touch him. It's kind of the same situation here. And so uh, they were doing that. They wanted to bring their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples 
rebuked the parents. So they scolded them. Why? For bothering him, for bothering Jesus. Uh, In the first century, children were regarded as a bother. They were regarded as a burden unless they were physically strong enough to be able to contribute to the family and what the family was doing. Until then, until they were able to physically help with the chores around the house and the, and the weight that the, that the church ha- or that the family had, uh, they were to be seen and not heard. They had no rights. They had no weight in society. They were um, another mouth to feed, basically. And so they were too young to be able to understand what these adults were talking about, what the parents were talking about, so they were often excused. And back then, they were truly considered to be outsiders. Sometimes even within their own home, they were considered to be outsiders. So children back then often went overlooked. They were neglected, um, unfortunately at times, and sometimes even ignored. They weren't seen as a blessing all the time. They were seen more as a bother. And the truth is, if you're a parent, You understand this to a degree because kids, what they do, they create chaos, right? Kids create chaos. If you've been a parent for five minutes, you know that this is true. Uh, We have a a framed picture of this phrase in our house um, inside of our kids' nursery. It says, for our boys, they are noise with dirt on it is what they are. Noise with dirt on it. That's what, and they really are because kids, they wear you down, right? They try your patience. They lick your knees. It's crazy. Maybe that's just my kid, okay? That's my boy. But they lick your knees. And so as a parent, just if you had young children at a time or you have young children now or maybe you just want to imagine, raise your hand if you've ever taken them to a restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? Is that a good experience or a bad experience? If it's McDonald's, you're fine, right? You feel fine because all the other parents are pulling out their hair as well. But if you try to go to a regular restaurant, it's difficult. Family pictures, has anybody been able to pull off family pictures with little kids? They're always screaming, always crying. My my son is always sticking his tongue out. Uh, Even yesterday, mom's like, take a picture and like put your tongue in, Percy. Put your tongue in, smile, Percy! And then pretty soon you're angry at the kid. Road trip. We just got back from Montana, 12 hours of pure joy one way, recuperating while we're on vacation, and then 12 hours back in the car with little kids. When you go on a flight, trust me, I'm like, even before I had kids, I was like this. You see the baby come down the aisle, right? And you, what do you think? You think, please don't sit next to me. <laughs> please go somewhere else on the plane. Please just do it, because truly, kids, by their very nature, they create chaos. And we love kids, but when they are young, they naturally, unintentionally, innocently create chaos. And so I get it. I get it. I get why the disciples did what they did. They saw chaos coming at Jesus in the form of these little humans Right, these little humans coming down there, and they tried to shield Jesus, to shield them from Jesus, to protect him, to help Jesus out by holding back these kids, hindering them from access to Jesus. If they were around today, the disciples could have just thrown them little devices, right, and then they would just hold them and look at them, because we know that when a kid has one of those, they're literally paralyzed. It's like proven. 
They're docile. They just, they're just stuck. They don't hear you. They don't do anything. They're just right there. And so Jesus was too important. He was too busy to be bothered by these little outsiders. And so the disciples thought, as we sometimes think, that when we are, they think that, we're think that we're serving Jesus when in fact we're unintentionally doing the exact opposite of what Jesus would actually want us to do. And so look at how Jesus responds. Verse 14, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was indignant with his disciples. Uh, truly, a couple weeks ago, I was just reading in my Bible, and the word indignant came up in another location. And I looked it up because I thought, it just doesn't make quite sense in this this thing, and it literally said just kind of to be upset or, or whatnot. That was the interpretation of that. This literal interpretation means that he was angry. It's different from the one before. Very displeased. And so Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Friends, this is huge. Jesus saw children as a distraction or a hindrance to the mission and the difference was Jesus saw them as the mission. Huge difference there. Jesus knew his mission. What's the example we have from Jesus? He knew his mission. Sometimes we forget, don't we? The mission that Jesus said, go and make disciples, loving the outsiders. We get consumed by comfortability. We get consumed by what is convenient or our personal peace of mind that we want to keep, Right? But red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And he was clearly moved when the disciples tried to hold the children off at bay. When he tried to hold them off. And what moves Jesus, right? What, what comes up and wrestles in Jesus should also be what moves us. Jesus saw their value. He saw their tenderness. He saw their openness. I mean, he even talks about it in just a few verses, about the trust, right, that, that we need to be like children in the sense that they're so quick to believe, aren't they? They're so quick to believe. They're so quick to trust because it is the most pivotal age, the most influential age a person, a human will ever be at is their childhood. And so let me tell you some very disturbing stats. Here you go. The stat is this. If someone is going to become a Christian, right, the chances are from birth to 13 years old, if they're going to become a Christian, is 32%. That's the stat right there. That's not good. 32% of people between the, the birth of when they're born to 13 years old, that is when they, um, if they're going to accept Jesus, 32% of them will say yes. From 14 and up, for the rest of our life, 6%. 6% of people will choose to trust in Jesus. That is five times the success rate in investing into a little kid. Five times. Kids are the greatest outreach opportunity that we have as a church statistically speaking. Years ago, I went camping with my family, and we go to Montana a lot, apparently, but we went uh, camping with Bob and Ruth and all of our other, other friends. 
And we went to this lake that Bob knew about from his buddy way back in the day. And we literally camped right on the lake. It was absolutely gorgeous. Put our tents right on the edge of it. Nobody else was around. It was serene. There was a little waterfall. I'm not even kidding. A little waterfall right there. It was insane. And when I go camping, one of the things I love to do, especially if I'm at a river is I would, or at a lake, I want to go fishing. And so we went fishing on this lake. It was the um, Hungry Horse Reserve, uh, Hungry Horse Dam Reserve. That's what it was on this lake. Somebody knows about it. That's hilarious. And so here's the deal on that thing. We, uh, we went fishing there. We fished in the morning and caught nothing. Fished in the evening, caught nothing. Okay, we went again the next morning. We went in again the next evening. Every single time caught nothing, nothing, nothing. We went on for four days of fishing hard. And when I fish, I want to fish hard and get going. I want to catch the fish. I tried everything in my tackle box. I tried everything that I, every way I knew how to fish. I tried everything. At some point, Bob actually gave up. He stopped going out and fishing with me. Uh, he's like, there's, you know, whatever. And so we go, because we had to drive 45 minutes to get uh, water and ice. And we drive 45 minutes to a gas station. And I'm just asking the guy, I'm like, dude, how in the world do you catch the fish in this? Like, what do they bite on? What's the deal? And the guy looked at me and halfway laughed, and he said, dude, there's no fish in that lake. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean there's no fish in that lake? I, I'm like, and and I, I, I swear I had a bite. I swear. You know? And he's like, there are no fish in that lake. Apparently, when they did the dam, something happened, and the fish all died. We didn't know about this as visitors coming in. And so I'm fishing and fishing and fishing and fishing with no fish in the lake. <laughs> and he finally said, hey, there's a little pond, a little lake right next to it. Why don't you go to that? So we did. And we were catching them left and right and left and right, right? And so there were no fish in the lake. Here's what I'm saying about this. We spend so much time in our evangelistic efforts trying to reach adults, trying to reach people that, that are in hard places, which we're called to do. But sometimes we spend a lot of time fishing in a lake where there is no fish. If we want to go and we really want to catch fish and be successful, we should invest in children's ministry. We should invest in kids for heaven's sakes. It's a huge, huge deal. Kids are our greatest outreach opportunity. I was a youth slash children's pastor for 17 years. And people asked me all the time when I was at the church, hey, when are you going to become a real pastor? I'd get that a lot. When are you going to become a real pastor? When are you going to start your own church? Well, that happened a year and a half ago. But I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like I was more effective when I was a children's and youth pastor in my effort because of the response that children and youth have. And so biblically speaking, from this passage, children aren't a hindrance. They are our ripest harvest. They truly are our ripest harvest. Jesus loves the little children, and he knew his mission, and he said, let them come to me. And so back to the passage, here's what it says. It says, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You got to notice what Jesus is doing right here. We've talked about this a whole lot. His example is this, is he's having gospel conversations He's having a gospel conversation. He is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, a famous pastor named David Jeremiah, he said this once. He said, kids today learn a lot about going to the moon, but very little about getting to heaven. And whether it's a kid 
or in its adult, it's in our workplace, or it's at a school, or it's our friend's house. We've got to speak up when it comes to the gospel. We've got to speak up and have gospel conversations. I've heard somebody say in the past, I've heard lots of people say, always preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's necessary. It's full-fledged necessary. You must speak. You want your actions to match your message. That is true. But you still have to speak up with gospel conversations. Truly, truly. This Sunday, what we've said before, we said it in this series um, as well. What we're doing right now, gathering as a group of believers, this is not the whole point, right? This is not what this church was started for. It was started so that we could go out and that we could have gospel conversations with those around us. And so we've got to speak up. Jesus' example was simple. He knew his mission and he had gospel conversations. Verse 16. Then he, being Jesus, took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. What did Jesus do right here? Jesus made time. Because I know right now that the number one excuse that most of us are going to have is I don't have time. Jesus was sought after by everybody in his day. People wanted to connect to him. They wanted to be next to him. They wanted to ask him questions. They wanted him to heal this and to heal that. So if anybody didn't have time, it was Jesus. And he was the one who made time. And so in order for us to be able to invest, we truly have to make time. Not just take time, make time. We can't buy time. We've got to make time for what is priority. And truly, this is priority. This was priority to him. This was priority to him. The number one influencer, you guys, when it comes to a kid's life is their parents, hands down. Nobody's going to argue with that. But statistically, statistics show that uh, when it comes to faith and what kids need, they need five other adults to invest inside of their lives. Five other adults to point them to Jesus that would look to them and say, hey, this is the way, or take an interest in their life and say, here is the way. It takes a village. It takes a volunteer. It takes a teacher. It takes a coach. It takes someone intentionally making time. So, so let's get personal for a second. I got two questions for you. Answer them in your head, not out loud, because that would be uncomfortable and awkward for all of us. Uh, name, if you will, if you're a believer and you're in faith, name the top three Bible messages that influenced you to follow Jesus. And I'm sure I've got like one, at least one, maybe two of those as you think in your mind. Name the, name the two. What do you got? You know, you, you have them in your head? Or would it be easier to name the one person who influenced you to follow Jesus? The one per person who invested into you? Because then names come to your mind quickly, don't they? Hopefully. People remember people, <laughs> not talks, unfortunately. For my business. People remember people. And so the power of presence is the most powerful thing that we can do. Investing into kids. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says this. It says, remember your leaders, okay? We would quote this to all of our leaders when in, in children's ministry and youth ministry all the time. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. 
We have to take the time. Jesus knew his mission. He had gospel conversations, and Jesus made time. And speaking of time, that is half my talk right there. I just spent my time talking on the passage, and so now let's talk about how do we respond to the passage. Okay, here's my first ask, big ask that we're going to throw out here. It's got to be pretty obvious at this point in time. Um, is this, is my ask is that you serve in children's ministry. That you would serve in children's ministry. Uh, this is truly, I, I'm not just saying this, this is truly one, the, one of the things that we are doing very well around here. This one is being done right. We have a world-class children's ministry here at this church. And I, 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 we may be small, but it's world-class. It truly, truly is. Let me give you a perspective. When I was at Overlake for 17 years, about 10 years all the way through that, uh, they offered me the children's ministry to oversee. And so I knew of a guy who would be a great children's pastor. And so we, um, I asked him if he'd want the job. He first, uh, it was crazy, the orchestrated thing. He said, I was just thinking about I might want that job. Bob Lee, who comes up here and teaches, became the children's pastor. Together, we got to build Kid Town at Overlake. So we built, I mean, the program. We built little towns and sections, and they gave us, I mean, Lots of money to be able to go and to build this thing. We built uh, a train station with a train in it. We built a fire station, had a fire engine kind of thing. We had a market. We had a gymnasium where they could get trained up. It was crazy. Every kid's dream. And then when we started Arbor and my daughter Paisley started coming, I asked her about how she's liking the children's ministry. And she says, I love it. It's way better than the last one that I was at. And I was personally invested in that one. <laughs> I worked my butt off on that one, right? This one I just hand to Anna. Here you go. Take it and run. And she does. And my daughter is like, hey, is it Arbor Day today? You know, she wants to come to church. That is amazing. What we have here is truly a good, good thing. And knowing the stats, we chose to invest in children's ministry. I'll shoot straight with you. I was criticized for investing the amount of money we did here at Arbor in the way that our children's ministry looks. And the fact that we have the play structure like we have and we have the design that we have. Just so that you know, that was all built by volunteers. All of it. Except for the play structure, which we couldn't figure out, right? Everything else was built by our volunteers, blood, sweat, and tears. We kept the cost at a minimum. Yet, I was criticized for investing in that way. Friends, if that is the most, that's the most strategic outreach we could possibly put money into. And so we chose to do that, right? Because here's what we learned from doing ministry for so long, children's ministry, uh, that kids will not make a spiritual decision until they're socially and environmentally comfortable. And so we tried to make that be the case. And honestly, the environments in there is not the best part about it. Truly, that is not what makes it great in there. It is the leaders that are inside of there. They are more than chaperones. They are more than babysitters. They are relational ministers, youth pastors, pastors to those kids. Truly. Truly pastor those kids. And I truly believe that there is no better way to reach someone, um, to reach someone for Christ than investing into a child's life. And so here's the specific ask that we have when it comes to helping out in children's ministry. We ask that you show up, that you show care, and that you share God's story. 
A lot of alliteration right there. Show up, show care, and share God's story. Show up regularly, which means that you got to come on a regular basis. We actually ask for one-year commitment. The reason that we do that is because it's relational ministry-based, and therefore what we don't want is we don't want adults getting to know kids, hanging out for a few weeks, and then disappearing because that does more damage than it does good. And so we want the same leaders to be connecting with the same kids on a weekly basis, so we ask for one-year commitment on that, to show up regularly. To show care is the next thing, um, and that's relationally. Get down to their level, like actually get down to their level and talk to them eye to eye. Not talk down to the kids, but truly to come down to their level and then talk to the kids in that way. And, and, and truly, the goal then is to connect. We want them to have fun. And, and here's the deal why. Because uh, we know that the number one question that a parent is going to ask a kid when they go into the, like, get back into the car after Sunday is what? There's two questions they'll ask them. Here's what they are. Number one is, how was it? And they'll say, the kid will respond, I had fun. That's one response. They only have two responses, right? I have fun or it was boring, which is the opposite of fun. And so if we don't win in the fun category, then we don't win. We don't have a kid to talk to where we can't share the story, share God's story. And that's the second question that a parent will ask. Well, if you had fun, what did you learn? That's the second question, right? Every Sunday is centered around a sticky point. One phrase, one thing that we want them to take away and remember. The, the welcome is, the game is, the, the story time is, even the worship songs as best as we can are centered around this one sticky point. So when the parent asks, what did you learn? Did you have fun? Yes, that's a win. What did you learn? And if they can say the sticky point, dude, we nailed it for a Sunday morning. And so that's what we're asking of you. That's what I'm asking of you, right, is that you would serve. Some of you are like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not good with kids. You might be surprised. You might be surprised. And so the first ask is to serve in children's ministry. And I will talk about how you can do that and the opportunity at the end inside of me. Here's my second question. That was the first one. Second response, second request is this, is that I am asking and we are asking as a church that you would sponsor a kid, we have never done this before, but we have just now jumped into a partnership with Compassion International. This will be something that we do on a regular basis. They are a world-class organization. They have been around for 65 years. Do you want to know what their mission statement is? This is beautiful. Look at this. To release children from poverty in Jesus' name. That's their mission statement. That's their goal for the entire world. And the stats for the world are pretty terrible. 600 million children are living in extreme poverty right now. 600 million. That means that they're living on less than $2 a day. That's what's happening there. If that one doesn't, I mean, that one seems pretty pie in the sky, doesn't it? Like you can't quite connect to that one. But catch this one. 18,000 kids a day die of starvation. 18,000. That's a lot. And, and, you know, if you're like me, you think, well, what the heck can I do? That's, that's way too big. I can't solve world hunger. I can't solve hunger for, a kid, for all these kids. You can't. But you could do one. Could be one. 
And if you're like me, anytime you've seen one of these, you were skeptical. Like, you, you look at it and like, is that, a, um, is that a Google image that they have copied on some photo, you know, cardstock paper? No, every single one of Compassion's kids are individual. 100%. There's no other copy of this. This right here, this is Michaela. And Michaela, from what I read last night, really loves art and drawing. And she doesn't have enough money for food. This organization is full-fledged legit. And they are really good at what they do. We, guys, we investigated them. We made sure of it. You can go look online. All their documentation, their financials, and everything are way open for you to be able to see. So truly, it's a big deal, and they're good at what they do. I want you to watch this video to give you an idea of what compassion is like. This is one testimony from one adult who started off as a kid and had a compassion sponsor. So here you are. When I was eight years old, my father was taken away from us, and by that I mean he was murdered. Nothing was the same for me. News began to come to our doorstep. From our landlord, we got word that we couldn't stay in the house that we stayed anymore because we couldn't afford it. My mother had no job. My father was the only breadwinner. We moved from where we stayed to a place called Naguru Kasenke, which is one of Uganda's largest slums. And then I was introduced to our new home, which was a 12 by 12 room. I looked up on the roof. It was a tin roof that had holes in it. I've been to places where when it rains, people are happy. They get excited. But for me growing up, whenever it rained, that was a night that we would stay standing. Get little buckets placed just where the halls and the roof are and wait until morning. A reality hit me that day. This was life. I remember when my mom said to us, there was no money for food. That ushered us into a place where we were now going to begin to go to the street to fend for food. Hunger began to set in, lack of water. I was a kid, I, I didn't have time to be a child anymore. And as I lived like this on a daily basis, poverty began to speak to me as a child. I felt I was nothing, I didn't matter. Nobody cared to know my name. I think the best way I could describe who I was and what I thought is the word hopeless. My mother, in tears, uh, approached one of her friends just to share with her friend, and her friend shared with her about compassion. Compassion staff members immediately came to our home. Uh, I remember them coming with uh, just uh, files to, to, to get details of who we were, what our story was. I got the news that a young lady, Heather, she was 15 years old, a teenager. She had decided to sponsor me. I cannot find the words to describe the joy that filled our home when we got the news. Richmond, you've got a sponsor. 
which means you can now go back to school. It means food will be given to us because of you. I began to walk into that reality that ushered in me an opportunity to rekindle this hope that was taken away. Heather began to write to me, to hear words like, Richmond, I love you. Richmond, I'm praying for you. They began to bring healing into places that were destroyed by voices and poverty and my self-image. I remember my day, June the 3rd, 1996. I walked forward to accept the Lord Jesus in my heart. I began to feel, wow, I have been released from poverty. I have believed. God began to continue to grow the leadership within me. And then I felt fully called to pursue pastoral ministry. I began the Pastors Discipleship Network, a ministry that exists to train and equip pastors. And I spend a lot of my life training and equipping pastors in the Word of God. Looking back into my life and thinking where I am right now and what I am doing, I don't think any of this would have been possible without compassion. Compassion works. Everything that was placed within the program has helped build me to who I am right now. Poverty is not just the lack of money, the lack of material, food and water. Poverty is in, it's deep. I credit a lot of how I feel now about myself to those letters that I received from my sponsor. My name is Richmond Wandera, and I was released from poverty in Jesus' name. Today, we want to give everybody an opportunity to sponsor a child. Uh, it is $38 a month. And what that means is that you'll be personally connected to a boy or girl um, who will know your name and will treasure the thought that you actually care. What that provides for a child is nourishing food, which is humongous, the ability to go to school, medical assistance, and the best part is all of this is connected through the local church. Because, friends, it doesn't do any good. I mean, it does good, but it's not enough to just meet the physical needs of a child. To be connected to the local church, then we have an opportunity to share Christ, the hope of all hopes, with them. And so you might ask what percentage of the $38 goes to you, Jake? Just 15%. That's just, uh, just, just a 15% cut. No. Hear me on this. Listen, please listen carefully. Not one dime, not one penny of what goes to this has, goes to anybody on Arbor or Arbor whatsoever. In fact, if you do the research and you look into it, um, medical, or, uh, um, uh, compassion, their overhead is so low that such a, almost the entire, every dollar um, goes to the kid um, and to the feeding their family and to taking care of their medical needs and doing those things. And so you know that it's going to a right place. And, and to be honest, it's, it's $38 a month, but some churches will not do child sponsorships. And here's why, because they're afraid that the members might divert tithe dollars to um, compassion instead of the church. And I'm not worried about that in the slightest. 
You guys have been generous since we started. I pray that you'd be even more generous right now by um, helping kids who need food. And uh, this kind of came about by a conversation that I had with my daughter. And uh, she was asking me, Dad, what do you, you know, asking me about my job, kind of asking me, Dad, what do you do during the weeks when you're not talking? And I'm like, dude, it's a mystery. Nobody knows. Um, <laughs> but she says, what do you do? And I says, well, my job, honey, is to tell people about Jesus. That's what I want to do. That's what I do. That's what I've chosen to do with my life. And in that conversation while I was tucking her in, uh, I asked her, what would you like to do with your life, babe? And her response I didn't expect it. I didn't know that this was what she was going to say. She said, I want to feed the hungry. That's what she wants to do. And I was, as a dad, that's just, that's pretty huge. See, my daughter had such a, such a tender heart that she wanted to take care of others. I've asked her many times since then. She keeps saying, I want to feed the hungry. I want to feed the hungry. I want to feed the hungry. And so when we went to a conference a little while back, that was when we got to connect to Compassion. And, and since then, we have now um, chatted with our daughter, and um, we have sponsored a girl named Ruth from Toga. And, uh, and, um, and uh, what Paisley is doing um, uh, is she is um, she's going to do chores around the house to earn $38 a month, extra chores above and beyond what she normally uh, does for chores, which isn't much, I'll just be honest. And so, <laughs> so she lives a pretty good life, but she's going to start doing chores around the house and things of that nature so that she can help um, with her friend Ruth and help pay. You saw that, that he met a gal named Heather uh, or connected to Heather on the video, and that just changed his life. And so what we've done as a church is we've asked Compassion to send us some Children, 39 children, packets. My hope is that they are all gone by the end of today, 39 packets. Here's what's unique about what we've done is we asked, um, we asked Compassion specifically, would you send us kids? Because we're kind of, kind of the way this church was built was built on, it was built with, from pain, from a place of pain. And there's a lot of people that have come here because of grieving. So what we asked is, can we be connected to those who are truly grieving, those kids who have lost someone? And most of the kids that they sent us, they've never had a request like that before. They sent us um, kids who have lost their parents or one of their parents. And so in doing so, what I didn't realize what we were asking, and she said this to us on the phone, um, she said that what you're, you're asking, you're actually asking for some of the most vulnerable kids that are in compassion. You'll notice on the cards that so many of them say priority because they're a priority in their situation. And so these are some of the most vulnerable kids that are out there, um, but we wanted to help the hurting. That's part of our mission. And so, um, and, and the grieving is a portion of that. And so we've asked for these, and they sent us these kids. And so, friends, I have sat in your seat. I've heard preachers. I've heard people give sales pitches on this. This is not a sales pitch. This is not a sales pitch. This is an opportunity to affect somebody's life for eternity. And I warned you. I did warn you. I said you're going to have two big asks. And so now I pray and I plead and I humbly ask that you would respond in one of two ways. Either you would serve our children here who need our service, or you would sponsor a kid, or 
for heaven's sakes, do both. If you can't do time, do money. And if you can do, do both, that would be phenomenal. And in closing, and you might have come here and you're like, Jake, I didn't come to Arbor to work with kids. And, and you just spent a whole entire Sunday talking about and pushing children's ministry. And I would say, yeah, I did. And I would do it again next week. And I might do it again next week if the response isn't what we're thinking it should be. You know? Because this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. And so, like I said, the stats are clear. And this is a way to make one of the biggest impacts that we can make. Children are outsiders and often go overlooked, but not here. Right? We want to reach all outsiders. But this time we have a great opportunity to impact people's lives for the kingdom of God. Jesus said this himself. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you did for the least of these, you did unto me. I hope that we hear that when we enter into heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Jesus, you are a good God and you set the example for what it is like to inside and to bring them inside into the kingdom of God, into your loving arms. And so Lord, help us never to hinder the children to hinder any outsider who needs your help and your love and your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, I pray now, as I prayed before, may your Holy Spirit move in this moment. May you convict us. May you call us to action. True compassion takes action. And, Lord, you took action by coming down here and loving us on a cross. We love you too. Thank you so much in your name. Amen.